Welcome, my fellow humans, to another episode of the Healthy Happy Human Podcast, the show where I teach you how to live healthy, be happy, and lead an all-around full and fulfilled life. With new episodes each and every week, I bring you industry-leading experts, thought leaders, and all-around brilliant minds on topics ranging from mindset to nutrition to habit building to fitness and more. My goal is to help you get from where you are to where you want to be in life. I'm happy to have you here. Now let's dive in. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Healthy Happy Human Podcast. This episode is a very, very, very special one. My guest on today's episode is Brian Kane. Brian Kane is one of the world's foremost mental performance and peak performance specialists. Brian trains elite athletes, CEOs, world leaders on how to get the most out of their mental game. And he is one of the top people in this field and people seek him out from all over the world to help them reach that last 1% to 2% of potential that the average person is never going to get to. So having Brian on this show was a real treat for me, and the stuff we talked about is going to be so, so helpful for all of you listening. Make sure that you have a pen and a pencil out to take some notes because Brian is dropping huge bombs, and this is stuff that people usually pay him a lot of money to learn. This is stuff that he teaches in his courses and teaches in his live seminars. So definitely take some notes. Definitely go and check out his stuff. Brian also has his own podcast, which is amazing, and I'm a huge, huge fan of, which, of course, will be linked in the show notes. And before we start, just remember to always screenshot this and share it on Instagram to show some support and show some love so that I know that you're listening because that's how I know. Otherwise, I have no clue. All right, guys. Again, I'm super excited about this one. Please enjoy this episode with my man, Brian Kane. All right, Brian. So my first question for you is you have a course called Mental Performance Mastery for coaches. It's a certification course, right? So my question for you is what do you define mastery as? And is this an important thing for normal everyday people or is it only for athletes? Uh, To me, mastery is the commitment to ongoing learning and commitment to being as best at that topic that you can be. So when we look at mental performance mastery, I like to to first identify the field of mental performance mastery and and give kind of a context to to where that fits, right? So I would say mental performance mastery is is what a lot of people would call mental toughness. You You could maybe call it even applied sports psychology, but basically there are 10 skills that if you, if you develop those 10 skills, to me, that becomes what I call the skill set of mental performance mastery or the skill set of mental toughness. So for the, for the people listening, if you think about it in an athletic context or a, any just physical skill development, trying to get better at doing a deadlift, trying to get better at hitting a, a drive straight on the golf course, whatever it is, right? There are drills that you do to develop skills and a collection of skills is a skill set. 
So if you understand that concept, and it took me until I was probably 42 years old to hear someone just outline, hey, that's what you're doing. That's what coaching is. You're giving the right drills to develop the skills that your clients need to have success. And you have to identify what are, what are the collection of skills that they need to have to success. And we call that a skill set. So in my coaches certification, I help coaches, trainers, physical therapists to better understand how to develop the 10 skills that make the mental performance mastery skill set. And the way we develop those skills is we do the drills that are in the certification. So to start, the 10 skills are number one, having an elite mindset. And your mindset is your perspective, how you see the world, how you see yourself. Number two is motivation and commitment. Motivation is what kind of gets you going, but we know that comes and goes. So it's the commitment and the recommitment to your commitments that keeps you going. Skill three, or what I call pillar three, I call them the 10 pillars of mental performance mastery. They could easily Paul be called the 10 skills of mental performance mastery. Mm -hmm. Skill three is focus and awareness, focus to be where my feet are, be in the present moment, locked into the task or the person who I'm working with and the awareness to know when I drift and bring myself back, social awareness, performance awareness. And then skill four is self-control and discipline you know, because you have to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance and you have to have the discipline to follow through on those commitments and make the right decisions. And, and as Michael Phelps says, when you get off course, get back on because we're all going to get off course, right? As a human being, none of us are perfect. We're going to make bad decisions. We're going to make mistakes. How quickly can we get back on course? Skill five is keeping the process over the outcome. And this advice of keep your eyes on the prize is, is terrible advice when you will trip over what's in front of you, right? So know where you want to go, know the direction you're lined up in, know where your target is, but then commit to executing on that next step where your feet are. That's the process. The process is basically the staircase that I have to take to get to where I want to go. And one of the things I've, I've done, and for the coaches and trainers listening to this, if you're in a gym or training somewhere that has steps, is I'll always go to like the bottom step. And I'll walk one step at a time to the top step with my client and say, this is what this journey is all about. This top step is your ultimate goal. What is it you really want? What is it you really want? And then I'll ask them, why do you really want that? And I'll keep asking why they really want it until they get clear on what they want. Because when you start working with an athlete or a client who's not clear on what they want and why they're coming to you, if you help them get clarity, you're automatically providing tremendous value and you're starting like three miles down the road in the race because they know what they want and they know why. And then I'll walk them back down every one of those steps and say, this is what we have to do. We have to identify what are the steps that you want to execute on. Some of those steps are steps of things you need to start doing. Some of those steps are steps of things you need to stop doing. And some of these steps are things that you want to continue doing because you're doing some things well. And as we work, work this staircase and this process, that's how we give ourselves the best chance to get to the top of that staircase and get our outcome goal. So we just immediately get them to physically experience going up and down a staircase. And that's what the process over outcome really is, is let's make sure we hit every step along that journey. The sixth skill is meditation and mental imagery. Meditation to help me learn to be present. Meditation to help me learn to improve focus, to recognize when my mind wanders and bring it back. And mental imagery is going through and replaying the successes of my day. And then also going back and looking at how do I want tomorrow to align for me? Is there anything that's coming up that may be challenging or maybe difficult that I want to mentally prepare for? Skill seven is the routines and habits of excellence. And as they've said, the secrets of success are hidden in the routines of your daily lives and you become your habits, right? Your habits reflect your ultimate mission in life. And I, I've found that to be extremely true. And one of my clients right now is a pitcher with the Milwaukee Brewers named Corbin Burns. And in 2019, statistically, 
So the, statistically, he was one of the worst pitchers in Major League Baseball history as a starter. In 2021, statistically, he's one of the best starters in the history of Major League Baseball. So he's gone from not just worst in Major League Baseball to best in Major League Baseball, but we're talking about statistically in the history of the game in two mm-hmm. years. And the physical ability was always there. The difference for him, is, and he said this in interviews, and he said this in a podcast that we did that will come out soon, is the biggest thing for him has been being able to recommit to the daily routines and habits in the process that he feels like gives him complete confidence because he's prepared. Skill eight is time management and organization. And we look at the one factor, it's the same, Paul, for you and all of your clients and all of the competition is the time in a day. We're given 168 hours in a week, 86,400 seconds in a day, and you either spend time or you invest time. And I would encourage your listeners to to execute what I call the three E ratio, three E's, energy, entertainment, education. With the limited amount of free time that we all have, where is our free time going? And a lot of people, their time goes into entertainment, watching Netflix, being entertained. Some people, it goes into, it goes into education, going to seminars, listening to podcasts, reading books. In some, it goes into energy building, running, meal prep, organization, exercise, building energy. And I think you can do all three of those, but just pay attention and be aware to where is your free time going? Mm-hmm. And don't say, I don't have time. Be better with managing your time because the time you have is, is the same every single day. Mm-hmm. It's what you have. It's what you choose to get into that, t- that is where your time is going. It's all a choice. Skill nine is leadership. And I talk about the six C's of effective leadership and building trust. And then pillar 10 or skill 10 is creating the right culture. And a culture is a set of beliefs that drive your behaviors. And those beliefs are frameworked within what I call the MVP process, knowing your mission, what you want written on your gravestone, knowing your vision, what you want written on your resume, right? What you want to accomplish. And then your core principles, the, the principles that drive your behaviors on a daily basis. So for me, my mission is educate, empower, energize other people to be their best. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this with you and your listeners today. My vision is I want to certify 500 coaches a year in the NPM certification, which they can get at briancane.com slash certification, where they join my insiders list and and get all the information they need to join. And they save $200 off the price when they join the insiders list. So I want to certify 500 coaches a year for 20 years. That's 10,000 coaches. And if those 10,000 coaches like you, Paul, each touch 1,000 lives, which you'll do with this podcast, that is an influence on 10 million lives through mental performance coaching. And to me, that, that would be really cool. I may be underselling myself there in terms of what my reach could be, but 10 million lives is, is pretty good for a kid from a small town in Massachusetts, you know? So then, so that's my part of my vision. And then my core principles which have evolved over time. And at the time of this recording, I do not have children. So if that, if I'm blessed to be able to have that opportunity, the principles may evolve as well. When that comes as I think life evolves, your principles evolve because you evolve. But my core principles currently are the acronym APE, accountability, process, and energy. Accountability, uh, being, being a man of your word, follow through, do what you said you're going to do. Uh, process being have a plan and execute on a daily basis and the energy just being a positive life force and builder for others. And if I can be accountable, if I can have a process for the day and I can maintain the energy that allows me to execute that process at a high level for other people, then I feel like I'm I'm living in alignment with who I want to be. And that's my definition of success. I think everyone listening to this should have a definition of success for yourself, because if you don't, you're going to start playing the comparison game. And when you play the comparison game, you'll lose only every single time you get on an airplane, 
plane flying from New York to, to Arizona, Paul, as you're going to do here later this year. And one of the things will happen is there'll be someone on that plane who's in better shape than you, who's better looking than you, who makes more money than you, who's got more energy than you. Someone on that plane will be better than you in every single aspect of life. So if you play the comparison game, you're only going to lose every time. And I think that's part of what social media does in a negative way. And there's a lot of positives of social media. Um, but in a negative way, it allows people to play the comparison game. And I think the fastest way to get out of the comparison game is one, know who you are, what's your MVP process and two, know how you define success for yourself. And for me, the definition of success is, did I live in alignment with who I want to be my core principles of accountability process and energy? And did I do that today in service to other people? I love that. Everything that you just said is so, so spot on. I mean, anyone who's listening, uh, just if you're not already taking notes, because I'm here taking a whole bunch of notes, uh, go back, rewind the last 10 minutes and just r- write all that stuff down because this is, this is pri- priceless stuff. And honestly, each of those, each of the 10 pillars, I could go off on a, on its own individual tangent. Each one, I, my, my next question I wanted to be was like, which do you think is the most important? But I don't think that's even possible because it's kind of just everything exists in, in an ecosystem. But what I really wanted to point out was what you just finished with was the, the MVP and specifically the mission, the vision, the principles, because I think for anyone listening, it's important to understand that how clear you were. You, you said clarity and I wrote that down and underlined it and circled it because to me, that's, that's a huge word. You said it as uh, in terms of bringing to your clients, walking them up the stairs and then walking them back down. So they have an actual visual and physical, right? You're, 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 you're taking it beyond visual, beyond just drawing out. You're like feeling this, this is a step-by-step process, literally walk up the steps. And that brings clarity to the ultimate mission. And you having that mission of, like you just said, specifically, it wasn't a random, it, was, it wasn't, I'm, go, I'm going to certify a bunch of coaches. It was, I'm going to certify 200 coaches for the next 20 years. And that's going, it was a very specific thing because, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of, of John Maxwell and, you know, and he has a thing where, you know, like you don't, you don't end up at a destination you didn't set out for, or, you know, mm-hmm. Stephen Covey says you start with the end in mind. Um, but then I'm also, you, you, one of the things that you mentioned was that you want to have like the, 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 the process over the outcome. So I'm wondering how do we balance those two things? right? Of like, we need to have the big, we need to have super clarity on the end goal, the vision, but not allowing it like that, that end goal, when you said 200 people uh, each year, and that each one of those people affects a hundred people. And that reaches out to 10 million. That is a big audacious goal, right? And even then you said that might be underselling yourself a little bit. So I'm wondering how do you balance the fact that we need that because that's the clarity that you need to drive you towards that goal but we also need to stay focused on the process and it will not to let it get too overwhelming. Absolutely. So, so I like to look at process over outcome and first by first start by saying outcomes are real. Results are real. Okay. Results matter, but the process, it should say results matter. And the process is the pathway to get results. Mm -hmm. So if results, the more results matter to you, the tighter your process is going to need to be. Mm -hmm. So the bigger your goals the tighter your process needs to be. And what I mean by having a tight process is this, okay? Think about two types of goals, telescope, microscope. Telescope goals are, I wanna certify 10,000 coaches that impact 10 million lives. I wanna do that in my lifetime. I mean, I wanna do that tomorrow. Don't get me wrong. If I could certify <laughs> 10,000 coaches in a year, I'm, I'm all into doing it. Don't get me wrong. So, so, so as, I, as I, with the goal being 500 a year, if I can increase that, I'm going to increase that. And there's got to be a way to do it. I just don't currently know the strategy. And we got to come back to the question about strategy here. Mm-hmm. So let's make sure we do that. But the, the, 
Telescope goal must be reverse engineered. Work backwards. Okay, reverse engineering is a fancy term for work backwards into a microscope goal. And the microscope goal for me, Paul, is what does the next 24 hours of my life look like? Mm -hmm. What does the next 168 hours of my life look like from a schedule standpoint? This is now blending in with time management and organization of I assign every minute a task. Every minute of my day is given a task. And people say, well, don't you ever have fun? I go, yeah, every day I have a ton of fun. This, <laughs> is, what I, this is what I want to do with my life. Mm. So if I want to do this with my life, I also want to structure it and schedule it so I can make sure that my time is going to the appropriate place when I want it to. And I'm playing offense, not defense. Mm -hmm. To me, defense in life is I'm letting other people dictate my time. Offense in life is I'm going to have a plan of what my ideal day and ideal week looks like. And I'm going to try to work as hard and smart as I can to make my ideal day and ideal week come to fruition. So I have a schedule that says in my ideal week, here's all my blocks on my schedule from when I'm sleeping to when I'm training to when I'm coaching to when I'm doing what I call deep work, which is making videos or writing or making a product to when I'm playing golf to when I'm hanging out with my wife to when I'm meditating. I put all of that on a calendar. And I say, this is the ideal of what I want. And for one, a call to action for our listeners here would be, if you don't know what your ideal day and ideal week looks like, you cannot have one. Mm. So start with what the ideal day, ideal week looks like, and then work to control your schedule to make it align with that ideal. And then when you have that ideal day and you have that ideal week, if you spread that out over 10, 20 years, you're going to get your telescope goal at least give yourself the best chance for success. But, and it might look like an overnight success to other people, but an overnight success really takes 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I actually love what you just said about, you can't have an ideal day. I mean, an ideal day or an ideal week, if you don't plan it and to mm -hmm. get even more like just basic with, with, for anyone listening, exactly that. Like you can't have even a good day. If you don't know what a good day is, a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll talk to someone like, Hey, how's it going? That's eh, all right. You know, whenever someone asks me, how's, you know, how's it going? What's up? I would say amazing. Everything's good. Everything's amazing because that's how I feel about life. But if I don't know what an amazing day is, if I, I know what I want my day to look like, and I know what it has to be, what I have to accomplish by the end of the day for me to put my head down on the pillow at night and say, like, I had a great day today. And every morning I wake up and the first thing I say, when my feet touch the floor, it's, a, it's my, my get out of bed habit is today is going to be a great day. And wow. then I know, and I, I set myself up, but, but, you know, so it, it seems like a silly thing of like, someone's like, ah, I had an okay day today. Not, well, why not a great day? Well, if you don't even know what a great day is, if you don't know from, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed at night, what a great day would look like, how is it ever going to happen? Right. Again, exactly the, what I said before, if you don't end up at a destination by accident, right. You know, when mm -hmm. none of this stuff happens. And to me, this is what everything is. This is if I had to boil everything down, which is impossible, but to one thing about success and, and everything in life is being reactive versus being proactive, right. A, a, a reactive life where you're spent just your time is spent putting out fires and just being moved by outside forces versus a life where you choose to design it. Exactly. Like you said, now people might think that that's crazy to go minute by minute, like you do, but it allows you the freedom. Right. And so people could hear something like that and go, that's, that's like, so restrictive, right. To, to have every single minute laid out. And yet it's the most freeing thing that you can do. Totally. That's totally. what allows you to do, to live the life that you, the way you want to. Totally. It's, and it, it's, if I feel like it's restrictive, it's because I'm scheduling the wrong things. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So to me, it's not restrictive. It's freeing mm -hmm. and it's freeing because I create boundaries for myself that keep me from doing the things I don't want to do and being restrictive. You know, now don't get, when I say keep me from the things I don't want to do, like I don't always love writing articles. 
Mm-hmm. I don't always love doing what needs to be done, but I know doing what needs to be done aligns with my mission. Mm-hmm. And if it aligns with my mission of educating, empowering, and energizing other people to be their best, then I can get myself to love it in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the key things for our listeners to take away here, Paul, is you have to play mental games with yourself constantly, daily. And when you're playing mental games with yourself, how you talk to yourself, how you position your body language, looking at, looking at this <laughs> budget report that I have to create for the company and going, okay, it's the absolute last thing I want to do. But you know what? If I'm going to do it, man, let's make it a game. I'm going to give myself three hours and we're going to go get this thing done. So as soon as the first, like, let's say there's a baseball game on, as soon as that first pitch happens, I'd much rather be watching the game, but I'm on on a bike or a treadmill, but I'm going to come into my office. I'm going to shut the door and I'm going to hammer out this budget report and I'm going to do it like one pitch at a time. Like they're playing in the baseball game. I'm going to go one number at a time, one line item at a Mm -hmm. time. And I'm going to create that three hour game block to hammer out that thing I don't want to do, but by making it a game or doing what I call gamifying tasks, when you can gamify a task and make it competitive with yourself, it just becomes a little bit more enjoyable. I think to do like, to me, it's a game to get up before it's a game to get up in the 5am club. Mm-hmm. Like ideally I want to get out of bed at 5am, but mm-hmm. if I get out of bed at 558, it's still the five, <laughs> it's still the 5am club. Count it. Count it. Yeah, I count it. Yeah. But, <laughs> I, but the goal is go to bed at nine. I mean, again, it comes back to intention, right? Like you said, the goal is be proactive, not reactive. I would say another way to say that is play offense, not defense yep. or be intentional, not accidental. So intentionally, I want to get in the rack at 9 PM out of the rack at 5 AM and sweat before screens, move my body before I do anything else. Take care of me before I take care of the world. And I don't do it every day. Yeah. It's my intention to do it every day. But like everyone else, I get distracted. I make some poor decisions that set me back and I get sidelined. But when I do, I recognize it and I will beat myself up about it because I know I shouldn't be doing that. But then as quickly as I can, I get back on the path. And if you read Michael Phelps book, No Limits, and Michael Phelps, as people know, the what I think 36-time Olympic medalist, he would say, four things in his book that stuck out. And I think leaders are readers. I try to read, I try to read as many books as I can and, and get introduced to the thought leaders. Guys mentioned like Stephen Covey, John Maxwell. And in Michael Phelps book, No Limits, he says, one, breathe every day, do some sort of meditation, some sort of mental practice. Two, he says, do what needs to be done regardless of how you feel. Learn to act differently than how you feel because feelings follow actions. Most people let their feelings dictate their actions. He says, feelings follow actions. He says, it's a start to stops most people. He goes, I never wanted to be in the pool or felt like being in the pool until I was in the pool. Third thing he says is when you get off course, get back on. And we're all going to get off course. And when you do, get back on as quick as you can. And then the last thing I said I thought was so good is if you want to be one of the best in the world, like Phelps is, he says, you have to create your edge. And for him, creating his edge was the one seventh advantage. He'd say, I was in the pool every Sunday for 15 years, except when I had my wisdom teeth removed and except when a snowstorm shut down the pools and the streets in Baltimore, he goes, so every time I lined up on the block and looked left and looked right and looked at all the other competitors in the world who were the best in the world at what they did. And my margin for error was this. He said, I knew I was one seventh better. And that's all I needed to be because I had trained on Sundays for 15 years. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love <laughs> so much about what you just said. Again, it's the start that stops most people is one of my favorite quotes of all time because it's, mm-hmm. it's so true. Um, and 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 you you said, I don't love it all the time. I just have to love it in that moment. And I, yes. I really like that because it's the same thing, right? It's just, I, you know, I tell clients all the time. It's like, I don't want to work out. 
okay, just, just do five minutes. How about that? And then, you know, what happens, what happens after you do five minutes as every, just about everyone can attest to is usually you end up doing 15 minutes and then 20 minutes and then an hour because you started already. Yes. But you just chunk it down to the littlest thing, which goes back to what you were saying before about having these, uh, you know, tiny little time blocks and things like that. So everything kind of loops back into each other, which is why I think this stuff is, is so interesting. I also like that you said sweat before screens. That was a good cool mm. to steal that. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, um, so this, this is my next thing that this comes back. This is something one of my personal uh, gripes, especially with the fitness industry, because, you know, I've been in fitness for a long time and nutrition and stuff like that. And I feel like it was always motivation, 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 motivation. And now we've kind of, I think, I feel like we've passed that. And now it's kind of understood, as you said, as you alluded to before, like we understand that motivation comes in waves, right? So like you ride the motivation when it's high and, and then you kind of, you know, you, you rely on your, your processes or something like that when it's low. But then a lot of times I'll hear, I'll hear trainers especially go, well, we know that you can't rely on motivation. So instead you have to rely on discipline. And to me, that's like saying like, oh, it's all right. I know that you're thirsty. Just drink water. Like you're not, you're not telling me anything. I'm not, if, if I have someone who isn't motivated and isn't disciplined, you're not telling them how to actually fix the problem. You're just saying, oh, it's not the problem you thought you had. It's just a different problem. Mm-hmm. So my question is, you know, how do we get to that point for people who are just like, they just feel lost and just say, you know, again, they, they have, everything seems like this big goal of, I have to go to the gym, you know, five times a week, or I need, I have to lose 50 pounds, or I'm trying to start a business. Cause I, I use fitness as analogies a lot because it's easy people, people understand them. But I always say everything is the same. This is business. This is relationships, right? You want to work on your relationship with your, with your wife or husband or significant other with your kids. You want to improve your, 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 work relationship with a with a coworker or something like that everything comes down to you have to be motivated to do it you have to be disciplined to put in the work and yet we can't get ourselves to do that does that make sense yeah and i and i think there's degrees of discipline and motivation so i look at motivation and discipline as a skill and this all skills are a sliding scale you know what i'm saying it, it all the reason why baseball players go and take batting practice every single day is they know how difficult it is to be good and they also know when they're good They've never arrived. They're always in the process of arriving, right? They're ne- they've never become, they're always in the process of becoming. Mm. I think when you look at motivation and you look at discipline, those are skills that you can sharpen and you can develop. Tapping into motivation, going, why am I doing this? How does this align with who I want to be? How does this align with serving other people? Mm-hmm. What's the purpose of me doing this? And then the discipline is what is it I should be doing? What is it I shouldn't be doing? And how do I get myself to do more good, less bad? <clears throat> Speaking of more good, less bad, I heard Tom Brady speak one time and he simplified success to say, as you go through your journey, find out what works and what doesn't do more good, less bad, and you'll have a great career, <laughs> you know? And it's, and it's sometimes when we make it, sometimes we make it way more complex than that. But the only way you can know what's good and what's bad is if you're paying attention, mm-hmm. you're paying attention to yourself. Right. If you're looking at yourself as the study, if you're looking at yourself as the game. So the job is become the best version of you. But in order to do that, if you understand what I call the three-step success cycle, okay, the three-step success cycle, number one, prepare. Number two, perform. Number three, reflect. And that's life. But most people miss step three. They prepare, they perform, they prepare, they perform, they prepare, they perform. They never press pause and reflect and go, how am I doing? Mm-hmm. And when you reflect, I'll share two strategies with you for reflection. One is called start, stop, continue. When you reflect, what do I got to start doing? What do I got to stop doing? What do I got to continue doing? 
to get me closer to where I want to go, to close that gap, close the gap from where I am to where I want to be. We all have a gap. We got a gap in our fitness, a gap in our finance, a gap in everything. How do I close it? I close it with strategy. We'll come back to that. The second process that you can use for reflection is what I call well, better, how, what am I doing? Well, what do I want to do better? How am I going to do it? And if I can identify that well, better, how that gives me a better chance to close that gap from where I am to where I want to be. And I think when we look at motivation and discipline, they look at them as feelings mm-hmm. instead of behaviors, much like confidence, right? Everyone, every athlete I've ever worked with, including five UFC world champions, three Cy Young award winners, Olympic medalists, they all want to know, Hey, how can I, how can I feel more confident? And they always go, I can't help you. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, you, I can't give you a pill to make you feel more confident, but I can give you a drill to make you act more confident. And that's called body language, focus, self, how you talk to yourself. So I encourage athletes and, and people in life in general. I work a lot with um, people in, in drug and alcohol rehab. I work with a lot of law people in law enforcement. I work with a lot of people in athletics or school, you know, education. I was a high school administrator myself for 10 years. So I saw it every day in our, in our youth and education. And the biggest thing I think is understanding with motivation, with discipline, with confidence is it's not something that you feel. It's something that you do. Let me rephrase that. It's something that you can feel, mm-hmm. but feelings come and go. Yeah. Feelings are somewhat uncontrollable, yeah. you know, but what you do in your behavior, you can act motivated. You can act with discipline. Mm-hmm. You can act with confidence. Mm-hmm. And when you do, you give yourself a better chance for success. So I think when we also look at developing those skills or acting that way, we use these examples of like Navy SEALs, or we use these examples of like the most disciplined people who have had routines that they execute every day. And, you know, this one guy who would go and run five miles every day for 50 years, you know, and it's like, we look at those as examples of discipline. And I, what I want to encourage your listeners to do is give yourself some grace and just get started. Cause as you've said, it's a start to stop for most people and think about eating the elephant. You Mm -hmm. eat the elephant one bite at Mm -hmm. a time. So just ask yourself, What's the accountable decision I can make today? What's the discipline decision I can make today? And it's why I've made my bed every day since I saw Admiral McRaven speak at the University of Texas, what, 12 years ago or so now. And he says, you know, as a battle-hardened SEAL, one of the tough, toughest trainings and toughest people on the planet, we teach them to make their bed every day. So they start the day with a win. They Mm -hmm. start the day with attention to detail. They start the day with some self-discipline. At the end of the day, if you've had a miserable day, at least you come back to a bed that's made. And that'll assure you that you have hope for a better day tomorrow. So that's like, I think the first step in, in terms of, of discipline is making your bed. And Paul, I'll go back to one of the most difficult audiences I've ever worked with was high school freshmen. Mm-hmm. I was a high school health and phys ed teacher. And I taught freshman health at Champlain Valley Union High School in Vermont. And as I was teaching health, the biggest unit that I was excited about to teach was, was the mental performance component of our, of our health class. And one of the tasks I gave them was to make their bed every day. And I said, making your bed every day is going to impact your grade. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have an accountability partner, start a streak where you're taking a picture, send it to each other or whatever. And at the end of the year, when we did our parent teacher conferences or we did feedback from the students, I mean, the biggest thing they took away mm-hmm. was I made my bed mm-hmm. and the domino effect of that and the ripple effect of that. And I think for the listeners, excellence in small things becomes excellence in all things and how you do anything can, can become how you do everything. So just start with that win in the morning of getting out of bed when you said you were going to, which requires mm-hmm. you to go to, to go to bed when you said you were going to make your bed sweat before screens and watch how your life changes. Yeah. 
100%. I love all of that. It's so funny because everything that you're saying is so aligned with what I do. I have literally a morning routine that I send all of my clients. And I actually did a podcast about this where people can go and download it for free. So anyone who's listening who wants it, nice. just go scroll down a little. There's a morning routine checklist, but that's exactly it. So it's number one is wake up with no snooze, right? Wake up and whatever, like you said, I said, I'm going to wake up at 6 a.m. So I'm going to wake up at 6 a.m. If for no other reason, then be the person who does what they say they're going to do. That's one of, that's one of, one of my values, right? So I said, I'm going to wake up at six. I didn't say I'm going to wake up at six, snooze, snooze, snooze. Then I have, you know, say your morning affirmation. Again, I call it a touchdown affirmation. The moment, moment my feet touch the ground because that's the, mm. that's the cue in my habit loop to say my feet touch the ground, I say my thing. Then it's 10 minutes of, of sitting in silence. I don't even call it meditation because that scares a lot of people. I just say, just sit in silence. I don't care. You can meditate. You can do You can do envisioning practice. You can do whatever you want, but you can't look at a screen. You can't do anything. You can't speak to anyone. Just sit there and, you know, your, your brain will figure it out over time. 10 minutes of exercise. Then, you know, it, it's the same ideas that you're saying because these are the things and it's so simple and yet simple is not easy. Right. Um, totally. But, yeah. But it's exactly, I really like what you said too, about like the motivation and, and discipline. Cause this, again, the, the reason I asked the question, cause I, fe- I, I, I get what you're saying. And I, I struggle with this because it's like the same thing. It's easier said than done. It's like, well, just do the thing. Right. And that's the thing with about motivation. It is, as, as you said, is you act your way into being motivated. Right. So it's like, I ask my, my clients this a lot. It's like, they're like, oh, I'm just not motivated. I'm like, well, what would you do if you were motivated? Well, I go to the gym. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> you know, then you know what to do. Right. So do what a mo- you don't have to be motivated, but act as if you were mm-hmm. a motivated person, you know? Yes. Yes. Another one to, to build off of that, right. Is that I'll have people say, Hey, you know, if, if they ever give you an answer, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Say, what do you think you should do here? Oh, I don't know. I'll go, well, if you did know, what would you do? <laughs> and they'll be like, well, I would do this. And I go, well, I'm not going to give you the easy out of, I don't know. Yeah. If I did know, what would you do? It's a great question. And then, you know, Paul, the morning routine piece, one of my favorite books that I've read is the miracle morning by Hal Elrod. Okay. Right. And he talks a lot about uh, the importance of the morning routine and the acronym savers. And I think I love about acronyms. And I studied a lot of this guy, Ron White, who wrote a book called memory in a month. And I like to, to, learn about memory and how to make things that are easy for people to take away. Mm-hmm. So, so savers, here's his acronym for a morning routine. Now I've taken savers and extended it out over the course of the entire day mm-hmm. instead of just a morning routine, but S silence, just like you're talking about a affirmation, touchdown affirmations. I love that. Wrote that down. I'm going to take that one. V visualize, visualize how you want your day to go. So S A V E exercise R read. S scribe, meaning you're writing in a journal. So silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise, read, inscribe, or write savers. And if you can do that every day, it's really, really hard to have a bad day when you're hitting that savers routine. It's also not easy to execute. Yes. The only way it gets executed is either if you put it into your morning routine or you schedule it throughout your day of when you're going to do it. But I think that's a great starting place for people is to create a morning routine and just implement, maybe not try to implement all six of those if you haven't done any of them, but just start with one. Yeah. And the reason I think this is so important and I always highlight stuff like this is because again, I have my own morning routine that I give to clients and it's, it's based on Hal Elrod's and it's based on other people's that I've, that I've kind of picked and choose, but it's all the same stuff. I have gratitude in there. I have journaling, whatever, you know, but my point is with this, and I listen to a lot of podcasts and I read a lot of books and success leaves clues. Right. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point there it's for me, it just clicked. It's like, how many successful people can I, can I hear say, I have a gratitude practice. I have a meditation practice. I have a journaling practice. I, I wake up at a certain time and exercise first thing in the morning. It's like, how many times can I hear this, these people tell me this stuff and just go, yeah, but that's nice for them. But you know, like, it's probably not going to work for me before I can just go, you know what, maybe there's something to this, like 
just act stuff. Maybe there's something to, to this cold shower in the morning stuff to, to, you know, to eat or eat the frog is another one. I have all my clients eat the frog first thing in the morning, right? Like, you know, uh, Brian Tracy says, yep. do the, th the one thing that you'd probably don't want to do. The, 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 the one thing that on your schedule that you've been putting off, like you said, those, uh, those uh, expense reports or something that you've been, you've been keep, keep, keep somehow getting shuffled to the back of the deck. Right. And it's like, it's so easy to just keep doing that. And it's hard to do the thing, but for some reason, that's the most rewarding. The, the thing that we least want to do, it's, it's a paradox because the thing that we least want to do in the moment is somehow A, the thing that we most need to do and B, the thing that once we do it, we'll feel the best. Mm. Well right? said, man. Yeah, well said. <laughs> it's totally. one of those things. It's actually, I, before I, I want to go on to the next question I have, but um, it's funny because I was just reading this book called, uh, it's called Freedom from Illusion, the book of ego. I just finished this and you were um, saying about, uh, before you mentioned about confidence and I actually just had like dog-eared this. So I just kind of want to read this to you. I think it, it's, yeah. it's funny. So the guy, he says, it happened, a great Sufi mystic was asked by an emperor to come to his court and pray for them. The mystic came, but he refused to pray. He said, it is impossible. How can I pray for you? There are a few things that one has to do for oneself. For example, if you want to make love to a woman, you have to do it yourself. I cannot do it on your behalf. Or if you have to blow your nose, you have to blow it yourself. I cannot blow my nose on your behalf. That won't be of any help. So, and so is prayer. How can I pray for you? You pray and I can pray for myself. And then he closed his eyes and went on to his own prayer. And this whole thing is just about exactly, there's certain things in life that no matter how much we want to outsource, we can't, right? Like mm. confidence, motivation and things like that. So people always come to me or you as a coach and say, how do I get motivated? And it's like, you do, or you don't, you know, I, I, there is no magic pill for this stuff and there's no other way. And exactly like, like you said, it seems like we're not giving an answer when you say, well, you just have to do the thing, even when you're not motivated, but is there any other way around that? Is there a way to give that to someone? I think it's, I think it, I always say, simplify the battlefield, make it as easy as you can. So if, if you want to, if you, you don't want to work out today, put your, put your shoes and t put your shorts, t-shirt and shoes on, then take them off. And I'll give you that as a workout for the day. <laughs> Just start there. Walk to the mailbox and back. That's a start, but you got to do it in your, you got to, you got to go. So when I first start working with someone, I'll say, I want you to go get yourself a new pair of shoes, get yourself a new pair of shorts that you really like and a t-shirt, make that investment because people will often pay to what they pay attention. Well, people will pay attention to what they pay for. Mm -hmm. So when they have those shoes and they have the shorts or the t-shirt, they want to put it on because it's comfortable. And then I'll say, okay, the, the habit, right? The ha we talk about where habits and routines can kind of trump motivation and commitment is like literally next to where my toothbrush is in the bathroom mm -hmm. is I will put my shoes, I'll put my socks, I'll put my shorts, I'll put my t-shirt right next to my toothbrush. And when I wake up, uh, the first thing I do, I go to the bathroom, I weigh in, I, I, I take a mouth guard out because I grind my teeth when I sleep mm -hmm. and I want to have teeth, you know, when I'm older. Mm -hmm. So I will, I'll, I'll brush the mouth guard. I'll brush my teeth. I'll put my clothes on. I'll walk into the gym in the house. And that's the routine. Now, when I didn't have a home gym, I would do the same routine and I would go to the gym. And that's to me, the, I, it, I, I dramatically increase my success rate when I have my clothes laid out the night before. I also dramatically increase my success rate when I know exactly what workout I will be doing that morning after I put my clothes on. And I dramatically increase my success rate when I'm able to get to bed at nine. If I reverse engineer that, I increase my success rate of going to bed at nine. It's a whole domino game when I am off the computer at 8 p.m. If I'm off the computer, off technology at 8 p.m., I don't really watch TV unless, you know, somebody who I know is performing or something on TV in a game. 
I will be asleep by nine o'clock. For me to be up for an hour and not stimulated by coaching or with people or in front of technology or working, I will be out in an hour. Yeah. So to me, the key, the keystone, right? The domino is stop eating two hours before bed. So I stop eating and drinking at seven. So I'm not getting up and going to the bathroom. I stop working at eight. I'm in bed at nine. And that's my shutdown process to start the next ideal day. Yeah. When I execute it, when I, when I, when I struggle with any of those three, the next morning usually takes a hit, but because I'm, because I know that about myself, I work really hard to not schedule anything after seven or 8 PM. And I had to try to have all my food down and water down by 7 PM. Cause I know the benefits of that going right. into the next day. Right. I love that. And I think that it's important to note a few things that you just said. One about, you said, you said, I know that I have a better day when I have my, my shoes and my stuff, my stuff next to the thing. And I know I have a better workout when I have my workout planned out. Neither, both of, both of those, I mean, are as close to a scientific fact as you can get without, I'm sure there's no studies on that, but I know every person I know would, that, that has, that has seen success in the fitness world will say the same thing. We'll agree with you. And that's not coincidence. That is because what you, what you're doing by doing that for anyone listening, the, the magic to what Brian just said is he's removing friction points, right? right? I talk about this a lot is that everything, again, I just said, everything that we want to do is hard in that moment. So every step we can take to remove a point of friction before we try to do the thing makes us that much more likely to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Meaning that's why I, I used to think stuff like this was silly stuff, like bring your, you know, have your, have your gym shoes in your, in your trunk or, or, or at the foot of your bed in the morning or lay out your clothes the night before. But again, when you wake up and you're groggy and then you have all the, the, the rush of the day starts coming in every reason to say, Oh, Whoa, I don't have my gym stuff. Oh, well, everything that, that could knock you off course just a little bit will. So the more of those we can preemptively do and get out of the way when we're, when we're not in that morning rush is the same reason why meal prepping works It's the same reason why everything. And again, this goes back to what I said, you know, 20 minutes ago, which is proactive versus reactive. Can you plan ahead? Can you put in the diligence now for what's going to come later? And as Brian has alluded to several times in this conversation, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, mm. right? So, like you said, you, you, you didn't say, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm good with my morning routine. And then I mean, and maybe once in a while I'm not, you said, and I'm not sometimes because we know that we're not always going to be perfect. So instead of having this false, you know, dream of that, oh, if things are just going to always go well, and I'm going to be able to get up and make my coffee and do my morning routine before the kids wake up, uh, but the kids woke up 15 minutes early, the baby was crying, then, then I threw my whole thing. Well, let's plan ahead for that because yeah. it's always going to happen. Life yeah. always happens. You know, Mike Tyson said, you know, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face and life is going to punch you in the face over and over and over again. So I think just those little things, while they may seem insignificant, that's why I really wanted to highlight this because it makes a big difference. And that's the difference of being you where you are in your life and being able to stick to a routine that is planned down to the half hour and the, the 15 minute and the minute and being so successful with multiple businesses versus someone who says like, I don't know why I just can't get, I just can't get it going. Yeah, I think it comes back to intention, you know, and even being intentional of when I say I, I some, uh, sometimes I'll miss the routine. Mm -hmm. Well, when I miss the routine, there's like an alarm that goes off my head and goes, hey, man, you're going down a slippery slope here. What are you doing? And I, I weighed in this morning, 182 pounds. My goal is to be, my goal is 180 and, and under 10% body fat. So I get on the scale every day and my goal is twice a week. I'm seeing below 180 right? Or one at run 80. And I only say that because at one point I was at 240. And when I was at 240, it wasn't a good 240. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't have the awareness nor the voice in my head going, Hey man, you're going in the wrong direction here. All my decisions were based off of 
what I would call preference, not principle. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest things that we got to do if we want to change our, our life or change our, our fitness or anything is be more principle driven, less, less preference driven mm-hmm. and preference driven is what feels good in the moment. Mm-hmm. And pre- principle driven is what aligns with who my great vision of who I want to be is. Yep. And if you can shift just a little bit, if you can shift 5%, from preference to principle, it's going to make an impact in your life. And then as you do that, you'll see more success. You'll actually have more enjoyment and then you'll keep moving forward. Now, are there times where I give in to preference and what I want to do? Yeah. I call that vacation <laughs> now. And I, and I will schedule those. Um, what I'm even learning about myself as I grow here at 42 is even when I'm on vacation and I'm in Mexico and I'm having the taco and tequila diet <laughs> after two or three days, I'm like, just get me back into my yeah. routine. My like, I love the routine yes. and I just li- I like it because I feel better. I like it because I contribute to the world more. And I like it because my routine is centered around the things I want to do coach train golf and hang out with my wife and French bulldogs. Like that's what I want to do. <laughs> Sounds like a good life to be. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that's the whole thing about all of this. Right. And again, it comes back to when from the outside looking in for someone who is not healthy, someone who's not in shape, someone who's never used routines and schedules are like, oh, that's so crazy. Everything's so scheduled. I can never, I can never, but again, it's freeing and you're building, it's a life built with intention. As you, as you just said, where it's like, everything is planned down to the minute, but that's so that I can get in as much maximum enjoyment because I love all of the stuff that I'm doing. It's the exact yeah. opposite of how people do where they, they dread every moment because they don't know what's coming. They're not planning. They're not being deliberate. They're not actually choosing the way that they go through life again life is happening to them not for them. right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly right it's like if i would say it's like it's being it's you're in the, the passenger seat or the driver's seat and like how do you want to go through life right and i i, I always want to be in the driver so exactly like you said yes that means that i have to take accountability and i have to take responsibility for some things there are going to be times when i don't do my thing and there's no other reason than i just didn't do it and that's okay because the goal was never to be perfect the goal mm. was to do my best to live in a life in accordance with the values that I set out, which is one of the things I said, I said was I do the things I say I'm going to do. Hmm. Right. So if I say I'm going to wake up at this time in the morning, I'm going to try to wake up. And yes, of course, sometimes I snooze my alarm. Of course, sometimes I just turn my alarm off the night before and like, I'll just like, I need to sleep in, but that's just understanding that there's a bigger battle, right? And the battle isn't one in one day. It's, it's one in the, the, the entire thing. We we've spoke about all the, already, like seeing the, the whole picture and the, the, that top step. So I think that that's all, you know, super important stuff. Um, and my, my next question, I mean, we've kind of get, we're in a roundabout way weaved through all of the questions I had, even though I haven't asked any questions in a weird way. Um, but my, my question is, what, what do you think separates the people who find success from those who don't? And like more specifically, not like the elite athlete from the, from Joe Schmo. I mean, like mm. two guys in the exact same situation, you know, the CEO, super busy, type a personality who also then after the, after work finds time to go do 10 K's and eats healthy and meal preps versus this guy in the same position, maybe the CFO who's right there in the C-suite with him, the same amount of responsibility, the same amount of stuff, but he's 50 pounds overweight, high blood pressure, doesn't eat well, doesn't do anything. You know, why is one person able to find success in this when given all the same things, or again, you can dial that down to not, not, not that successful to just the regular person, you know, the, the mom of three who, has no time because she's running around chasing her kids all the time. And then somehow there's the mom of three who finds the time still has abs, still, still, still meal preps and does everything. And they're in the exact same situation. Yeah. 
I think it's summarized in three words, the compound effect. Mm. And the compound effect is, is a book written by Darren Hardy. It's one of my favorite books. And he shares an example of, you know, most, if you ask an audience, and I'll do this anytime I do a live seminar or a training with people, as I'll say, would you rather have a check right now for $3 million or one penny that doubles every day for a month? And they go, give me the $3 million. And one penny doubled every day for a month is not $3 million until you get to day 30 where it's five. But if it's a 31 day month, it's worth $10 million, one penny doubled every day. And the thing is, if you got $3 million and I have a penny on day two, I have two cents on day three, I have four cents. On, on day four, I have eight cents. On day five, I got 16 cents. On day six, I got 32, right? On day seven, one week in, Paul, I got 64 cents. <laughs> you got $3 million. You know what people do? They go, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. They quit, they quit before the race is over. Mm-hmm. But if you stay the course and you do small, and, and I, Whirlpool is one of my clients and one of their, their mentalities, mindsets that they have is small, slow, daily small, slow, daily, incremental progression and process. So whether you call it the compound effect of Darren Hardy's book or the slight edge by Jeffrey Olson, (laughs) you know, it's the same thing. It's small, slow, daily decisions that add up over time. You don't get the abs in one day or one workout, Mm -hmm. but you also didn't lose them in one day or one workout either. Mm -hmm. Right. And Jocko Willink will say that Rome wasn't built in a day. It wasn't destroyed in a day either. Mm -hmm. So how do those people achieve that level of success? Small, slow, daily decisions over time. Yes. And when you, and, and as Tom Brady said, there's, there's two ways to get to where you want to go, do more good or less bad. Yep. So for the people listening to this, everyone, whether, whether you feel like you are living exactly in alignment with the life you want, or you are living in the opposite direction of alignment of the life that you want, ask yourself, what's the one behavior I need to start? What's the one behavior I need to stop? Mm-hmm. And what am I doing while I want to continue? Come up with one. So as part of my morning journey, uh, morning journal, Paul, one of the things I do where we're in my scribe, right? Where I write is I write down, start, stop, continue. Mm-hmm. And most days, most days it's start nine to five, sweat before screens, stop, you know, socially drinking with your friends mm-hmm. and continue journaling every morning. And I know for me, like the one positive habit in my life is, is sweat before screens. If I exercise in the morning and, I, and the things that have to happen in order for me to do that, my life and my days are way better. The one negative thing for me is I'm a social being mm-hmm. and I love people, right? I mean, I get energized by people. And often when you're around people and you live in a golf course community that there's often wine or alcohol that's around there. And then next thing you know, you're social and one turns into two and then you're up late and you're making bad food decisions. And that's how I got to 240. You know, didn't happen overnight. It happened by a compound effect of bad nutritional and habit decisions around what I was doing. So you have to know yourself and you have to be, you have to be really intentional with either I'm going to have a ton of willpower and put myself in that situation and stay in control, or I'm just not going to put myself in that situation. Right. And that's why I say you buy your willpower at the grocery store. So if you don't want to eat Doritos, don't buy Doritos. Yes. If you don't want if you don't want to drink the, the, you know, case of beer, don't bring the beer home. Yeah. I love that. I know. I don't know if you know uh, John Berardi. Uh, Precision, yeah, Precision nutrition. nutrition, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And Berardi's first law of nutrition is if if it's in my house, either I or someone I love will eat the thing. So if I don't, and then the second rule of Berardi's second law of nutrition is if I don't want something, or if I do not want to eat something, or if I do not want someone I love to eat something, then I will not bring it into my house. And that totally. one thing, that one understanding, will uh, will change a lot of things. But um, I, I like something. Um, that you just said there. Well, first of all, you were talking before about awareness. Um, and I teach, I have a course 
uh, called Mindset Shift. Um, and the way I teach what I call the change loop and the change loop is awareness is called, I call it the AEA loop, awareness, education, action, right? And that is where all change starts. It starts with awareness, right? Because people, most people, I say, sadly, live in this uh, world of unconscious incompetence, right? Where we don't even know that a pro that the problem exists. They don't know that there's a, a way of, of higher being or a thing out there that could, could change something, right? It's like to break it down to food. It's like most people might understand that a calorie is a thing, but they have no clue or no frame of reference for what calories are, how to read a nutrition label, how to you know, dis discern between protein, carbs, and fats, whatever. So eventually they become aware. They're like, okay, like, I, I, I get that that's an important thing. Now they know it's, I'm aware of it. Now we have to educate. Now we actually have to learn the thing, right? And like learn what the difference is and where, where the, where the changes, what's a protein, what's a fat, how much calories should I be having? How do I read a nutrition label? And then the last part is action. And I say, it's a loop because once you take action, you're faced with a new problem, a new change that you're going to then become aware of. And it's just a constant thing, but awareness is always the first step because otherwise we're just kind of in this blissful place. And I feel like that is the number one job of a coach is to bring people to that place, right? Education is a great one too. Like there's a piece of that, that, that I do, I do consider myself an educator, but for the most part, you know, as you know, as anyone can understand, Google exists, you know, there's, there's better educators out there than me. There's, there's, there's smarter people. And there's, but the thing is bringing the horse to the water, so to speak, and then you allow them to do the thing on their own. Right. And again, going back to the example you use for these elite athletes and confidence and things like that. It's like, I can't make you confident. What I can do is show you how to build your life in a way that will allow you to be more confident. Mm. I just think that it's an important thing to understand for people is that, again, you, you have to just be more open to experiences and open to, to learning and just open to things because awareness is the first step on that journey. Yeah. I like to say awareness is the first step to all growth mm -hmm, mm -hmm, or exactly. awareness is the first step to all change. And I love what you said there about awareness, education, action. And let's go back to strategy. It's funny. My, one of my mentors in sports psychology, mental performance is a guy named Harvey Dorfman and Harvey Dorfman wrote the first book I ever read. It was the summer of 1998. It was the summer between my sophomore and junior year of college. And the book was called The Mental Game of Baseball. And Harvey Dorfman worked with a who's who in the mental game of baseball. And so I read that book in 1998. Fast forward now to 2006. I happened to be in the college, I'm at the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. I happened to run into the guy who's broadcasting the game on XM Radio. We start talking and he goes, hey, would you ever be interested in coming on to XM Radio and, and talking about XM Major League Baseball late night and talking about the mental game? I'm like, oh, I would love that. So a couple weeks later, I'm getting ready to go on the show. I'm talking to the person who's off the air before they send me into the room. And I'm like, well, who else have you guys had on here to talk about the mental game? And they're like, well, we've had Ken Revisa, who was my mentor, whose face is tattooed on my heart. They said, oh, we've had Harvey Dorfman. I said, well, you guys have had Harvey. I go, I've lost contact with Harvey. I haven't talked to Harvey in like 10 years. I lost his number. I'd never talked to the guy, never had his number. <laughs> Any chance I can get his number? I'd love to reach out to him and reconnect. Like, oh yeah, hang on. We'll give it to you. So they give me his phone number. <laughs> I I'm too scared to call the guy. I sit on it for two years. I'm at a, he's from Harvey's from Vermont at the time. I'm a high school AD in Vermont. So I go to this AD meeting and a lot of the ADs at the time, they know that I'm getting into sports psychology and doing that thing and working with George St. Pierre at the time. And, you know, Vanderbilt baseball and TCU baseball and some good programs. 
And one of the guys goes, Hey, have you ever come across a guy named Harvey Dorfman? I'm like, well, as a matter of fact, is the first book I read. I look at him like a hero of mine and I have his number. I'm too scared to call. He's like, dude, he was my high school basketball coach. Give me his number. Yeah. He calls him three days later, this guy and I are flying down to North Carolina to go visit Harvey Dorfman. And I'm at Harvey Dorfman's house. He's in his mid seventies. He's he's, his health is, is, um, not great. So we're down there and it's a, it's a privilege to be with him in his last, you know, couple his last year per se. And I remember being in the car and we was like driving Miss Daisy. We called it driving Mr. Dorfman. And my friend, Tim Brown, who is, who, who is driving Harvey's in the front, I'm in the back and I'm just asking a question and he is unloading, just giving me information. And I asked him the million dollar question. I said, Harvey, what's the one thing, you know, now you wish you knew when you got started coaching, coaching mental performance with, with athletes. And he says three things. He goes, you want to grow three steps to growth, awareness, strategy, action. It's exactly what you were just saying, Paul. This guy's like the greatest sports psychology, mental performance coach who's ever lived. He said, awareness, you got to increase awareness of where they're at and where they want to go. Strategy. It's like you said, education, you got to give them the strategy of what to do and then action. They got to put the strategy into action. You can't do their pushups for them. But when they start, when you give them the strategy to put into action, then you become the accountability partner. And sometimes that accountability partner is a pat on the back. And sometimes it's a kick in the ass, but you have to be there as an accountability partner to make sure that those people you're giving the strategies to are taking action on the strategies. Otherwise there's going to be no performance change. And in our world, we live in the world of performance change. If we, we can be great at writing programs. But if we can't get our clients and athletes to execute the programs, they're going to go to someone who can. So I think for the, for the trainers or coaches listening to this, if you want to be able to not only write great programs, which I'm assuming you can do if you're listening to this and hanging out with Paul, if you want to be able to get your clients to execute and follow those programs, mental performance is the missing link. And if you go to briancane.com and click on certification, and check out my mental performance mastery coaches certification, join the insiders list. That's the goal. And then y'all I'll send you my best content. And then you're able to get $200 off the certification. That's going to allow you to better maximize the time with your clients that they're not with you, which is where that small, slow daily progress and process really kicks in. And you're going to be able to get them to execute the plan that you want them to do. You're giving them the tool set to unlock what it is they want to do. Um, but mental performance is that missing link. So if you're not coaching mental performance, your clients are going to continue to struggle with the motivation, the habits, the lack of process, the lack of routines. And they're going to be in that cycle of just continuing to get the results that they've gotten. And if you want them to break that cycle and get to the next level, it's going to come down to your ability to coach them in mental performance. 100%, 100% for, for any coaches and, and trainers listening, I 100% agree with that. That is the differentiator, right? That's the difference between the, the personal trainer who's just counting reps and they're having a good workout maybe while they're there with you, but they're never actually getting any real result. But even for people who aren't coaches who are, you know, just the, the end user here, someone who just wants to be healthier, happier, someone who's living that life. It's exactly like you said, it's still the same stuff, right? All the mm -hmm. stuff that, that it's just applies, like the, all the books that you've referenced, these are the books that I read for my own personal journey, right? Totally. The, the, the slight edge is to me like, the, the, you know, that's like the holy grail of, you know, like that was, a, that was one of the books that like cracked my brain open and felt like mm -hmm. a, a egg, like what, like that, like one of those old uh, dare drug commercials, you know, I was like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly that stuff. So this stuff you know, that, that's why I really wanted this conversation to be, and I'm so happy in the way that, uh, that it's gone. It's like, although you are the elite athlete guy, you are the, the, the mental performance guy for elite athletes, 
everything that you've said is extremely applicable for the mom of three, for totally. the, 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 you know, office worker who has 30 pounds to lose as much as it is for the Olympic level athlete, because at the end of the day, this is human stuff, right? Totally. This human, human psychology, human behavior. This is the, this is the challenge. And for anyone who's listening, I think that that kind of emphasizes why it's so important to learn this stuff because if an elite athlete, if, if, if Michael Phelps st- struggles with this kind of stuff, you know, if Michael Phelps has to do meditation and visualization, you know, what, what chance do you have without that? You know, so, so, and that's the thing is, is I like to always say, if, you know, if you're not investing in mental performance in a job interview or a competition comes down to you against someone who is, they're going to win. Mm-hmm. It's like, if, if you, if you think it's hard enough to compete against people, while you're doing this mental performance work, think about how difficult it will be to compete against them if they're doing it and you're not. You got no chance. Right. And I think, and I look at guys like George St. Pierre, right, who's a UFC uh, fighter client of mine who we started to work together after he lost to Matt Sarah, you know, and his career trajectory after that. And he would say one of the biggest differences was I went to work on my mental game. And it wasn't because it, it wasn't because he was mentally weak. It was because he just didn't even know you could train the mental game like you train the physical game. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest piece of missing information out there is that, is that mental performance is for people who are weak or people who are scared. And he says this, he says, you know, after, after one of the fights against Josh Koscheck at UFC 74 in the locker room on UFC.com, he says with his French Canadian accent, he says, no, I've changed up some things in my career. I would now work with my mental performance coach, Brian Kane. And before I met him, I thought that sports psychology or mental performance was for people who are crazy or weak. Now I realize that you need it at a certain level. Yeah. And that certain level is not to be the best in the world like George St. Pierre was, that certain level is where you're at right now. Mm-hmm. And wherever you are at to get to where you want to go, to close that gap, the quickest and the fastest is going to come down to your mental performance because it's your mental performance that drives your decisions, that drives your focus, that drives your behavior, that drives your process. And as we started this podcast, Paul, it's the process that will dictate the outcome. 100%. I love that. I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to we'll pretty much leave it at that. I, there's just always one question that I ask every uh, person yeah. that podcast, which is just what's one action step that listeners can take right now. As soon as they turn off this podcast that they can implement in their daily life or just one time, or it can be a habit. It doesn't matter, but to start living a healthier, happier life today. Call success hotline every day. And Success Hotline created by my friend and mentor, Dr. Rob Gilbert. Nope. January 22nd, 1992, we started to leave three-minute messages on an answering machine. And here we are 11,000-something days later where he still leaves a three-minute message on an answering machine. So if you want to get your mind right to start the day and get that checkup from the neck up, consider this breakfast for your mind. So when you're making your coffee, when you're in the bathroom, brushing your teeth, and you're bringing your kids to school, call, call the phone number 973 743 4690-973-743-4690-or-go-to-the-success-hotline-podcast.com and listen to that for three minutes a day. And if you can listen to that consistently for three minutes a day, it will completely change your life because you're going to do a little a lot. And the way we get better is by doing a little a lot, not a lot a little. Just keep biting the elephant every day. Put together great days. Great days lead to great weeks, great months, great quarters, great years, and a great life. So dominate the day. I love that. I love that. And uh, for anyone listening, 
I actually heard Brian, I don't know the, where I heard you, you, but I know I learned it from you, the success hotline. And it is, I literally have it in my favorites. It's mom, dad, my sister, and then the success hotline. That's it. Cause I don't talk to people on the normal phone anymore. It's like who, who calls people, but I call the success hotline every day. It has become a part of my routine ever since Brian recommended this to me uh, some months ago. And it, it is an amazing place um, to learn. And again, it's super easy, super, super quick, three minutes. I, I think that's a great, really actionable one. Add that to your routine. Um, and Brian, before we wrap up here, I just want to ask, um, you know, what you have going on, where people can connect with you. And just, you know, I'm sure anyone who is listening, who has a pulse wants to learn more from you right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you having me and giving me the opportunity to live my mission of educating, empower, and energizing other people. So hopefully we're able to do that today. But I would say the biggest thing is if you're a coach and you want to get better with mental performance, go to briancane.com, B-R-I-A-N-C-A-I-N, briancane.com, click on certification, get on the insiders list. It's going to save you $200 off the certification. I'm going to send you my best content. We open the certification two times a year, typically May and November. So we'll get you into those classes. And if you're on the insiders list, you do get a chance to, to join outside of those two public launches. Uh, other place would just be connecting me at briancane.com. I have my own podcast, the Brian Kane mental performance podcast, where I interview coaches and clients that I work with who share their success stories. I also share strategies and, and tips that I use. Uh, with, with clients and athletes that you can use. And I would say also on Instagram and Twitter, it's just at Brian Kane peak P E A K at Brian Kane peak. And um, yeah, excited to go on the journey. Paul, thanks for having me, man. I enjoyed it. That was, that was a fast, fast hour and a half right there. Dude. All right. And that is it for my episode with Brian Kane. And if you've listened this far, you can see why at the beginning of this episode, I was so excited because that was a lot. And this guy is just so knowledgeable and such a good person to learn from. So I'm honored that he was on the podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed this. I really hope that you took a lot away from it. As always, share with a friend who can also learn. As always, leave a five-star rating and review because that will help me grow. And as always, I'll see you next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Stay healthy. Stay happy, my friends.